If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Oh, dear. I've tried to be down with the cool kids this week. And let's just say it's not worked. So there have been quite a few people that have been talking about TikTok lately. And I've resisted because I've just been saying that's for the young people. It's not for me. And then I just thought, well, why not? Let's get on there. Um, It's not a case of being ahead of the crowd because 39 billion zillion people are already on there. Um, But it's a case of being slightly less behind the crowd than I normally am. So had child or fail, put child to good work saying, oh, could you just show me how to how to do this? What do I do? Anyway, it turns out his video he did has had 86,000 views and mine's had 279. Uh, I'm very, very proud of that. Um, he thinks I've done quite well, but I didn't tell him that I put up the second video, which got three views. <laughs> So I deleted it before he could see. Uh, Other child is refusing to even like it because then I'll know what her account is on TikTok and be able to uh, give her a very helpful appraisal of what I think of her TikTok account. So that's the situation here. But anyway, enough about that. Got five great, well, five books to talk to you about. Some that I love, some that I like and one that... I've got to be honest, let me down. So, yeah, we're, th- the truth is going to be bad today, uh, I'm afraid. But there we go. Let's talk about what books we've got. The first one is called, great title, The Undiscovered Deaths of Grace McGill. And that's by C.S. Robertson. And he, Craig Robertson, is going to come on and talk to us about this book. We have a lot to talk to him th- about. So that's going to be great. Then we've got Tall Bones by Anna Bailey. I first came across that book in hardback and then recently I saw it was available in paperback and I got asked would I like to take part in a read-along so I said yes I would like that very much so that's what I did. You can tell I've had more than one chocolate biscuit can't you? Yes we are fueled by chocolate biscuits today. Anyway the third book is called Mothers and Daughters by Erica James. The next one is called After the Rain by Lucy Dillon. And finally, we've got Good Cop, Bad Cop by Simon Koenig. So let's pile the books on my knee 
And let's go for the first one. So The Undiscovered Death of Grace McGill. Um, let me read you the blurb. It's quite a short blurb, actually. But here we go. Death is not the end. For Grace McGill, it is only the beginning. When people die alone and undiscovered, it's her job to clean up what's left behind, whether it's clutter, bodily remains or dark secrets. When an old man lies undetected in his flat for months, it seems an unremarkable life and an unnoticed death. But Grace knows that everyone has a story and that all deaths mean something more. And let's go to the first sentence or two, I think we're going to do. So chapter one. I see the stranger's reflection looming in the cafe's window, large and uninvited against the rain streaks. Cringing inside, I hear the chair scrape back and the start of an unwanted conversation. Um, it was a very different book, and I mean that in a good way. You, you don't know whether to trust the narrator. You don't know what's going on. Um, it's a very real book. It's sort of personal, but it's different. It's crime, but it's different. And I think if you like, yes, it's not cosy crime. We're not going to say that. But if you enjoy a crime book where, you know, you're led on a on a journey and you feel a bit blindfolded, but you sort of trust in people and the writing is very sort of on point, fresh, uh, then you're going to love it. It's just interesting to me that with all the crime books that we've got that, well, I would just expect a new book to be a repetition in some way of a book that's gone before. And this didn't at all. Um, I don't know if you've watched, certainly in the UK, there's been a, a sort of a, a dark comedy series called The Cleaner, which is about a guy who has to go in and clean up these situations. So when it first started, I was like, oh, right, this is what this is. And I was sort of going down a track. And then I thought, oh, no, Philippa, that's not the right track to go down. Reverse out and proceed again. Um, I just thought it was great. Different, interesting, challenging. Yeah. Anyway. Let's talk to C.S. Robertson now. C.S. Robertson, otherwise known as Craig Robertson, whose latest book is The Undiscovered Deaths of Grace McGill. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be doing it. Uh, well, had to talk to you about this marvellous book. I, I know it's an obvious question, but what gave you the idea for it? Uh, in this case, I, I can answer that question. I think often we don't necessarily know where we get our ideas from. <laughs> but this one came from a magazine article. Uh, about a, a cleaner in Japan who specializes in what they call kodakushi, which literally translates as lonely deaths. And she cleans up uh, homes where people, usually elderly people, have died and lain undiscovered. And as I read about what she did, I was hooked and I knew I had to, I had to write about it. I had, and I also I wanted to know what it said about us as a society, because it happens here far too frequently, too, that this can happen, that people can die and no one notices for months or even years mm. on end. Um, and I knew I had, I had the beginning of a book right there. Oh, isn't that wonderful, though, just when you read a snippet like that and suddenly it opens up a whole window in your mind? It's, it's fabulous. And it happens probably more often than people think. But, and we get excited. Oh, this is great. This is a book. And then you think it through a bit more and go, actually, it's not going to work. But this one, this one I knew pretty quickly had the legs to, to, to go. And so we meet Grace McGill, a very unique character. Did she sort of push her way into the story when you started exploring it? She did. Um, 
so she, I took parts of her from this uh, cleaner, this 25-year-old in Japan, who, as well as doing this job that most of us would not want to do, um, cared about what she was doing. She, would, she collects uh, items from the person's home so that uh, she can give um, them to whatever family they can find, so that there's some order there and there's something to be uh, passed on. And she also creates dioramas of so small scale models of the rooms in which the person was left and in which they died, which is immediately sinister yet charming at the same mm -hmm. time. And I mm -hmm. thought, well, this is going to fit in with my my character. Um, so I had an idea who Grace was going to be, but it was only really when I'd originally started writing this book in third person. And it wasn't oh. quite where I wanted it to be. I'd maybe written six or eight chapters. And then with a, a groan, I realized what I had to do. And I had to go and give it a go and write in first person. But as soon as I did that, I knew much more than I did. And it, it came alive to me. And usually when that happens, it's going to come alive to the reader as well. Mm. So I knew who she was as soon as I started writing in her voice. So that made such a difference. And did then the complete story then come to you in one or did you have to work through it and discover it yourself? Oh, I wish it had come to me in one. No, it, it yeah. didn't. I, so my, my starting off point was that she, and as, as the book starts, she goes to the home of an old man called Thomas Agnew, who's died alone and no one's noticed that he's passed. Uh, and her take on it is that, you know, everyone has a story. Everyone's had a life and no one seems to notice that this man is gone. And as she tidies his house and cleans it for pathogens to make it habitable, she stumbles across something that gives her an insight into the man's past, a photograph from the 1960s. Because no one else cares enough to know who he was, she wants to know. Um, mm. So that was my stepping off point. Mm. I got that far without immediately knowing what she was going to find, but knowing that there was a story there and the rest had to be worked out. If only it had come together in one go, <laughs> would have been so much more, so much easier. <laughs> but it's quite um, a, a twisted and compelling. When I say twisted, you know, it, it's just, it's it's fresh. That's what I loved about <clears throat> it as well. Are those the sort of books you like to read yourself? Yeah, I, absolutely. I wanted, I mean, I think we always try to write something different, but I, I've written a, a series, um, which I, you know, I have very fond of and it's been very good to me but I wanted to get out of that I didn't want to write a series I didn't want to write a police procedural again I wanted to be different and you know I did it thinking well no one's done this before and then of course uh find out somebody else has been working on a similar kind of story to me because Mary an author called Mary Paulson Ellis has written a fabulous book um and she read basically the same article that I did um to kick this <laughs> off and we all think we're having brand new ideas, but we don't live in a vacuum and others are, are thinking along similar things. But the fascinating thing for me with, with Mary's book is that we start with almost the same scene and then go in completely different directions. And I, I absolutely love that. Oh, wow. So, yes, as you say, you both started at the same point, but finished in very different yeah, completely different. It's do you remember, was it Ready Steady Cook? Was that the program with Ainsley Harriet where they used to bring in a yeah. bag full? Of, yeah. So it's like that. You've got your bag full of ingredients, and then you can do so many different things with it. And we've gone in ways that reflected our own writing and our own personalities. How interesting! I mean, the only thing that I'd come across that started perhaps in the same place but was very different was, of course, the recent uh, TV series, The Cleaner. 
Yes, well, that went very different places. That's a that's a Greg Davis one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I saw a couple of episodes that was really off the wall uh, and really bold, and 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 where and where it took about yeah, very different places to where I, yes. I went with mine. <laughs> and was Grace a hard character to let go of when you'd finished? Did she linger in your mind? <clears throat> yeah, she still does in many ways, mm. and it's the nature of it having. So I guess I completed the first draft in August 2020 and through the publication process and the editing process. And there was a bit of letting go. But now with uh, the book Big Out and promoting it and doing events, it, she's back there again. And, and when, I think when you write a book in the first person and the whole book is in her head and therefore in mine, um, you really get attached to that character. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to know her inside out. Uh, so, yeah, she's very much still there. Um, and I've been asked, well, would you bring her back? And that's complicated. <laughs> but um, I'd never say never, I guess. So this is this was a lockdown baby then, this book. It was. And um, I found writing lockdown much easier, much easier. Um, a lot of the distractions were... I mean, it was a, it, it, I feel guilty saying that because it's such a terrible time for so many people. Um, and, you know so many lives lost. But mm. from a purely selfish point of view, um, the, the distractions that like, I couldn't see the grandkids, I couldn't watch football, I couldn't go to the pub, I couldn't meet with friends. So all these things were off the table and all I could do was sit down and write. And really 24 hours a day really thinking about this book and about this character. So did that mean you produced a different book to your others? I mean, I'm not. That didn't strike me, but I'm just interested in that the cooking of it. Um, I, I'm not sure it's that different because of lockdown. I think it's different, uh, subtly different from my other books, but I'm not sure if it's because of lockdown. One thing that was a factor is that because a lot of the book was is about loneliness and people being left alone and as a society, how we deal with that. Of course, it was happening at a time when many of us were lonely and people were locked mm-hmm. away from others. So... That certainly uh, impacted upon my thinking during it. and it, But it's almost impossible to know how different that book would have been if it had not been written yes. during lockdown. I'm not going to write it again, so I'm not going to, I'm not no, going to find out. I'm not going to go through that again. No, was, once we're done up. Was there anything that you significantly changed about it as you wrote it? Um, yeah, well, I, I had three different endings. Um, oh, which, gosh. So, and obviously I can't go into really any no, of them no, at the moment, no. but there was three ways that that book could have finished. And I had discussions with uh, uh, my editor, uh, my agent, and my wife. My wife's also a novelist. And so I said, look, I'm, there are three ways this could go. Um, and it came to sort of, it, it came to majority decision, but basically it was my mm-hmm. decision because it's my book. I had to decide in the end. Um, there was an easy way to do it. And there was the right way to do it. And I think that's, uh, in the end, I had no choice but to go with Pope's more difficult ending in some ways. You know, I'm not one mm-hmm. for tying things up in, in nice, neat bows. That's not how <laughs> life works. So I don't, I don't want to go there. So I think that would be one of the bigger changes. I'm just switching to, to first person. But as I mm. wondered where the story was going to go, yeah, lots of things changed during that. I remember having a sitting down with my agent in Harrogate during the Thixon's Crime Writing Festival. 
and we had about a three-hour um, debate over uh, sitting in a in a bar talking about where it might go, and there were so many possibilities. And my head was spinning by the time it finished, but it it was it was very useful because it allowed me to work through all the things that could happen and should happen. So yeah, it, books always take literally take twists and turns, uh, both in the writing and in the reading of them. And was the name, the title of the book, always set in stone, or did that take time? Uh, no, it, well, yes and no. Um, it was almost that. It was the working title from the off was The Lonely Deaths of Grace McGill. And really late in the process, oh. uh, it became undiscovered because I'd used the word undiscovered. I described the people who left in that situation, that terrible situation, as undiscovered. And then it found its way from there uh, into the title. Mm. Interesting. Well, it's a big word. That's part of the problem. It makes it slightly problematic for a cover um, because <laughs> I discovered it's a very long word. Yes. But we got, we got around it. There's a lot of font choosing with that. Yeah, I think there's a bit of kerning going on, slic- yeah. slicing, spacing away between letters. <laughs> so what's your favourite part of the writing process normally? Oh, I think probably, well, the end is always, it's always <laughs> yeah. really enjoyable. Uh, typing the end is always great fun. Um, I, I'd like the putting together the development of it, but I think the actual writing, I love, I love writing a sentence. I love putting words together to, to, to form like that. The very basic integral part of it is, is what I love most. Um, the plotting can be tricky and it can be laborious. And it takes away some of the instinctive nature of writing. Yeah. So yeah. when I'm actually putting words together, um, it's what I enjoy most. And if I can finish a chapter off with something that makes me think, yeah, that flies off the page, that really fills me with enthusiasm to go on to the next chapter and keep going. So I think the actual writing itself. And is how much do you enjoy all the editing? Uh, I enjoy might be stretching it. Um <laughs> But I'm absolutely fine with it because it's so much a part of the process. Uh, I, I'm i much more comfortable comfortable with my editor coming back to me and saying, you need to do this or this, this doesn't work, than I am with what's happened a couple of times, only a couple of times, saying, well, that's great, we, we're not going to do anything to it. And I'm like, wait, no, no, that cannot be right. Um, if I, no, I don't feel comfortable with that. And for a start, I know we need to change this and this, and that's a bit weak. And I'd rather find these things out before it gets published rather yes. than after it gets published. So I, I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, enjoyable is not the same. It's not the same enjoyment as creation, but it's, it's just as vital. Well, that's a very healthy approach, I have to say. It's not, not everyone feels that way. Well, I was, a, I was a journalist before I became a, a full-time writer. So I was a journalist for 20 years. So I was very used to getting things changed. Uh, and not politely in the way that it's done in publishing. <laughs> so in publishing, people say, oh, this is great, it's lovely, maybe we could try and tweak this. <laughs> in journalism, they just have it thrown back in your face and say, that's not very good, do, you know, do it again. Um, so absolutely, you grow that thicker skin, and it's. I think it is healthy in, in terms of the process. And were you as crime story focused before you became a journalist, or being a journalist did that sort of turn your interest uh no i think i, I certainly read uh crime novels as my go-to uh, genre before i became a journalist and i while i did cover um, a number of crime stories I, I wasn't a crime reporter per se um so i i 
I think it what it did was increase my interest in how diverse people are and how they handle so many different things. Mm. And that's been really useful. So I was able to, well, I wouldn't use uh, real people or real incidents, but I would use people's reactions. And um, there's phrases that have stuck. And it, it, it was very uh, helpful as a, an apprenticeship, I guess. The ability to write wherever yeah, you are. Yeah, and... yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've written in cars while they've been driving over the speed limit, not by me, I used to do <laughs> um, And you know, to, to be able to, to file there and then or to, to yeah. file without writing, you know, just to dictate. Not and when you're driving. Not when I'm driving. No, <laughs> I, the incident I'm particularly thinking of, my photographer was driving. Uh, if you may remember, taxi driver Derek Bird, who um, went on a spree shooting in Cumbria. <gasps> yes, and it was yeah. a terrible thing, but we went down and we literally got following the scene and was having, we were, we'd have to file get off get the next thing file as we were driving and you get into if you can do that if you can write while your car's beating along country lanes um then yes you can write anywhere and um you learn to do it quickly do you think that in a way impacted on how you cope with your writing in lockdown that it was just another situation where you just mm. had to focus whereas those i do find authors that weren't journalists previously are less able to switch it on yeah i think that's it's i mean it's probably a generalization and but yeah but a natural one i think but i think it's correct um i think as a journalist you you don't have time to have things like writer's block that's a luxury you can't Mm. afford um you have deadlines and i love deadlines uh, and i hate the absence of deadlines i'm really lazy without a deadline but when i've got one that's fine i'm switched on i go um if i'm asked to write and it's happened frequently. I wrote something for someone else. Um, they had half an hour to write 600 words or something. I said, right, give me it. And it was like, bang. And <laughs> something just flicks and, and you, you go to that place. Um, I think also as a journalist, you learn to compartmentalize as well. So you can shut other things out mm-hmm. and just concentrate on the task at hand and get it done. But without that concentration, yeah, I'm like, okay, let's see what's on TV or, yes. you know. <laughs> Let's go for a walk. Let's wander through Facebook. I don't know any number of distractions, but uh, push me up against the clock, and I'll be I'll be fine. Yeah, I guess if you have six hundred words to write and you're given a day or an hour, you'll you'll take that time. Whatever. Yeah, whatever it's the same way that you know, like studying for exams. I'll be doing it at two <laughs> o'clock in the morning. The, before it so nothing's changed in, in that. Yeah, if you give me a day or an hour, I'll write it in the last hour or the last ten minutes. Or so when you get an idea for a story, yeah. are you compelled to write it there and then? Or do you have Craig's little book of great book ideas? That you... It's more it's more a, a book of ideas. And it de- depends on the situation. If I'm in a place where I can go, but the problematic thing, and it's not, it's very much for first world problems. If you've got an idea for a book, but you can't write it because you're in the middle of another one, then you have to store it away and inevitably it's a bit colder by the time you go back to it so you have mm. to kind of revive it but i do stick things away that either will be ideas for a book or might just you know something that i want to um tackle within a book or will make a line so i i do file things away and of course you go back to it sometimes and go why on earth did i write that down that is not <laughs> going to be any use to anybody um but, but other times I, yeah if something grabs me I, i'm it wouldn't be the first time you know, i wake at three in the morning and have to get up and put some words down, um, which 
my wife's not always that keen on if I wake, wake her up. But, you know, sometimes it's got to be done because the worst thing is any writer, indeed anyone will know, you know, that great idea you had at one in the morning you, that you've forgotten uh, when you wake up. So there is nothing worse than that. So it has to be noted down somewhere. Because I was going to ask you whether writing's an escape or a job, but it seems to me more it's just it's just you. It's just part of who you are. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, th- there's bits of both in that. It's it's definitely a job, um, but it, I can't imagine now doing another job. It, it is a job I love. Um, it's occasionally a job I hate. Um, you know, the just at the times where you get stuck or you go down a blind alley or <laughs> the blank screen's looking back at you, but. Um, in the hole, in the round, I, I love it. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to do anything, because I think you're right, it's, it is just what I do. And I think other people have weird ideas of what it, how it is. And it, But once you're in it and doing it, you can't, nothing seems odd. It's, that's just the way you live your life. And how did you get your first break in actually being a published author? Um, I was still a journalist when I knew that the writing was on the wall for journalism, or certainly for me within journalism. And uh, the industry was changing, is changing, and uh, it's, I knew I had to get out. And I, I knew that if I didn't get out, I'd end up getting kicked out because <laughs> sort of earning too much money at that point, and they would get someone to do it for less. Um, so I embarked on writing a novel. It seemed the most likely or most the way I'd most like to have got out of it. Going back to what I said before, I had no deadline for it. Uh, so without mm. that impetus, I, I struggled. I also didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to write a note. There's obviously a lot of similarities, but so many differences. So mm. I, I eventually got through that, uh, sent it off to an agent who spent, oh, he, he was interested in wanting to see the whole thing. I sent the whole thing and it took him months and months and still nothing, won't be able to look at it. Uh, and I think maybe six months down the line from when he first said he wanted to see the whole thing, he said, hey, look, it'll be another two months at least before I can even look at it. He said, if you want to take it somewhere else, let's do that. And I said, well, I'll think about it and I'll get back to you. The next morning, he said, okay, I've had a change of plan. I've, I've read the whole thing overnight. When do you want to meet? And no less, no more than eight weeks from that point, uh, we had three publishers uh, bidding against each other for it. And I thought, the speed of that just made my head spin. It's just yeah. not what I expected at all. But absolutely delighted with it. So is there anything that surprises you about the publishing world, especially compared to the world of journalism? Oh, every day. Uh, partly because it's always evolving. Um, mm. I've been, I was first published in 2010. So in that 12 years... You know, it's really changed the whole recognition. Also, my view of it has kind of changed as well, because certainly in the early days, my thoughts were, okay, well, it's fine. They know what they're doing. Yeah, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. And increasingly, I'm like, well, you know what? They don't always know what they're doing. And also on the on the digital side of it, that's, that has mm. impacted on, on traditional publishing so much, and it's still doing so. Because that moves, that's moving quicker than they, they can keep up. And the relationship to advertising and social media part of our job as well you know we we have to be involved in the social media side we can't just write the book sit in an ivory tower and and let the rest happen you know we have to engage um which i'm i'm happy to i I don't have a problem doing that but it's not everyone is as comfortable with it and uh, 
for that. And then, and at last, we're, get, we're able to go back out and do live book events, which is just great. It's so terrific. if you could go back to when you were writing that first book, what would you mm. whisper in your ear? That's really interesting. I was talking about that with someone just last night. I was, I was doing a book event last night, and um, I would rewrite it. Uh, <laughs> and, and it can't be done, and it shouldn't be done. I've been tempted to go back and do it just for my own torture <laughs> or amusement. I'm not sure which it would be. but Because I know that my, my craft is a bit more cultured than it, than it was. I know more about it. Um, but I think that book benefited from me, from me not knowing, just by the, by the nature of it. Um, I think one of the things I would tell myself is something that I still need told every book, and I think every author that I know needs told this every book, that somewhere around 30,000 words into the process, when you're sure that it's the worst <laughs> book you've ever written, and it's probably the worst book that anyone's ever written, that that's not necessarily the case. Um, and I felt that during book one, I felt that during two and three. So now, actually, weirdly, I didn't feel it during uh, The Undiscovered Deaths of Grace McGill, and that worried the hell out of me. <laughs> because my thinking before was, well, you've always thought this is terrible, and it's worked out okay. Now you think this one's good. So... That was a worry um, in a perverse kind of way. But knowing that that feeling is going to come, is, is a, there's a safety net in that as well. Because there's still a bit of right, it's okay. It's worked out before, but we'll, we'll be able to sort this. <laughs> me and my other writing me. Between <laughs> us, we'll, we'll sort it out. Uh, so what's next? Uh, I'm working on another standalone uh, now. Uh, oh, it's a bit of a struggle at the moment. Um, I've come to... Uh, I've come to a bit of a halt, but I will sort that immediately once I get some other things out of the way. Um, it's a standalone set in a fictional village in West Central Scotland. I can't set it in a real village because I have people coming after me, so I have to, it has to be fictionalised. Um, and the main character, uh, people who know me will be raging at this, is, is going to be uh, a witch, a modern-day mm. practising witch. Um it may it may be called the Trials of Marjorie Crow. Uh, that's working title, mm-hmm. and it's a book. It's about uh, fear and belief and disinformation and misogyny. So that's I'm I'm, I'm quite yeah. excited about it, and I'm excited to get back and get moving again. Yes, well, it sounds great. We'll look forward to to reading that when it comes out. But for now, we'll just uh, celebrate the book that is The Undiscovered Deaths of Grace McGill. So C.S. Robertson, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. 
If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So the next book I want to talk to you about is called Tall Bones uh, by Anna Bailey. Let me read you the blurb for this one. It's a story of secrets and shame, regrets and rage, love and lies. For Abby's disappearance cracks open the facade of a small town, peeling away the layers of its past. Even within Abby's own family, there are questions to be asked of the older brother whom Abby betrayed, of the shining younger sibling who hides his battle scars, and of her mother and father, both in the thrall to the fiery preacher who holds the entire town in his grasp. Then there is the outsider whose presence both unsettles and excites those around him. Let's go for that first sentence. The roar of the bonfire is hard to distinguish from the sound of the trailer park boys and the schoolgirls who holler and dance in the shadow of the tall bones. It is a small town sort of night, the last that Whistling Ridge will see for many years to come, although nobody knows this yet. In the kind of town where coyotes chew on stray cigarette butts and packs of boys go howling at the moon. Um, Yeah, it's a very uh, sort of sensory book. You really feel uncomfortable uh, as you're reading it. Um, It's a story that packs a punch. It's if you're if you're of um, a soft disposition, then this might not be for you. But it's one of those where you're just, you know, there are some people in this book that you really don't like and you're just rooting for the good guys. And it's got the surprises and the twist that you like. It is more adult in its themes, um, but it's a memorable book. And uh, and it's got a rather beautiful cover as well. I do like the blue and yellow. Um, but I just thought it's um, haunting, a very haunting read. So there we go. Tall Bones, Anna Bailey. Um, by the way, I've had real trouble with audiobooks lately. I've not been able to get into them like I used to. So I've tried a few different ones, but I've given up and I don't know... I feel it's just a thing that I'm going through at the moment because normally I love audiobooks, but I'm just not feeling it at the moment. I don't know. Have you got anything like that? Anyway, there we go. That's that's just me and audiobooks because I was just thinking all of these five are printed books this time and how there's no audiobook to talk to you about. But anyway, there we go. Hey ho. The next book is Mothers and Daughters by Erica James. Um, And this one, the blurb is this. Since the sudden death of her husband, Naomi has steadily rebuilt the life they shared in the village of Tilsham-by-the-Sea. 
Her eldest daughter, Martha, is sensible and determined, just like her father was, and very much in control of where her life is going. If she could just get pregnant with her husband, life would be perfect. Willow, the youngest, was always more sunny and easygoing, yet drifted through life, much to her father's frustration. But now, with charming new boyfriend, Rick, she has a very good reason to settle down. But the three women are as close as can be. But there are things Naomi has kept from her daughters, like the arrival of Ellis, a long-lost friend from way back, now bringing the fun and spark back into her life. And she certainly never told them that her marriage to their father wasn't quite what it seemed. And we're going for chapter one. Martha made sure the bathroom door was firmly shut, which was stupid. The door was either shut or it wasn't, just as there were no degrees of being pregnant. Read you a couple of extra sentences there because they're quite short ones. Um, what did I think of this book? I liked it. It's um, it's a family sort of saga, if you'd like. And for that, it's um, got a more gentle aspect to it than some of the other books of this type that I've read recently. It's reflective. Um, I think if you are feeling low on resources, low on what you can do reading wise, this will gently take you on a decent journey. Um, I thought it was, you know, clearly well written. Um, interesting story. Interesting seeing the different members of the family and how they interact. Um, possibly one for for Mother's Day as well. Um, now, <laughs> when does this go out? This probably goes out after Mother's Day. Um, let me, I'm just having a quick scurrying look at the... Old, yes, this goes out the day after Mother's Day. So, if you're listening to this podcast and thinking, oh dear, I forgot to get a Mother's Day present, uh, what shall I get? Then this would be your, I'm sorry it's late, Mother's Day present. So, there, there we go. Um it's got more of a punch than it looks as well, so don't be lulled into that. Um, but I would definitely look out for more of Erica James' books. I thought it was, uh, yeah, it, it delivered what I needed it to and more. So, yep, very good. So that was Mother, Mothers and Daughters by Erica James. Oh, of course it would be good for Mother's Day, yes. Come on, Philippa, keep up. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway, next one, After the Rain by Lucy Dillon. First, the clouds. Tara Hunter is a therapist on a mission to restore Longhampton's community spirit after catastrophic flooding. But with her boyfriend AWOL, her family fragmented and only a cat to talk to, Tara's own life is crumbling. Then the storm. On top of everything, Tara's father, last seen as he walked out on her when she was 10 years old, is suddenly back with a surprising offer that could change everything. But after the rain... Dr David Dalloway is Longhampton's new counsellor with an infuriating knack for reading people's minds. The last thing Tara needs right now, but he's charming, caring and excellent at his job. Could this be Tara's chance for a fresh start or is there a bigger storm on the horizon? Um, I enjoyed this book. It is, you know, if you want something, oh, what, what do we use? What do we call these books now? Used to be called Chicklet. We don't refer to them as, as that now. Then we called them contemporary fiction. Then we called them women's fiction. Then we called them uplit. It's it's a good story. Um, it's sort of love-based. So if you are not someone who wants to read a book where the you are... 
Uh, it's not. No, it's not. I'm wrong in saying that. It's not that the happiness is dependent upon finding love. Um, but that is certainly an element to it. Then if that's not the book for you, then just have a look at it first. But it's a very sort of modern approach. I thought it was very clean. I thought the cover was nice. I thought it was written well. Um, so what am I saying? I'm saying that if you are looking for something that is what we can't call any more chiclet, uplit, women's fiction, contemporary fiction in this modern setting with something that, yes, deals with love, but there are other aspects as well, then I think you would um, enjoy having a look at this one. Uh, <laughs> I think the chocolate biscuits of the, the sugar's burnt off now and I've got nothing left. Um but you'd certainly have something left if you read that book. Aha, there we go. There's the link. Right. Final book. Final book. Here we go. Good Cop, Bad Cop by Simon Koenig. Now, I really enjoy Simon Koenig's books. He's the only author my husband enjoys reading. So there's that. Um, and when his new book came out, it was time for me to be the host for a book club. And if you host, you get to choose a book. Well, you get to, to give two choices and people vote. And I gave two choices. This was one. But the other book had some very uh, emotional things in. And somebody said, if, if you read that book, that's absolutely fine. But I won't be able to read that book. So we said, OK, fine, let's go for this one. Nothing wrong with that at all. Great. The only problem is that when you make yourself out to be a, a lover of books and then it turns out you've recommended a book that uh, isn't isn't great, it doesn't make you feel that good. Um, I had such high hopes for this book. I thought it was going to be a real, What are they good? Are they bad? You're going to be turning the pages to find out what happens. And I'm really sorry, but it didn't do this. I'm not going to tag the author in this because I feel bad. Um, but it wasn't just me. Uh, I think out of everybody, there was one person that enjoyed it. Right. Here's the blurb. Let's read it out. So you're quite the hero, Mr. Sketty. The man addressing me in a soft Edinburgh accent is Dr Ralph Teller, a short, round individual of about 70, who reminds me in appearance of Richard Attenborough, the owner of Jurassic Park in the original movie and the one responsible for all those dinosaurs running loose and misbehaving. Um, I even tried this on the audiobook as well because I thought maybe I'm just not in my reading zone, but uh, yeah, I didn't get on with that. Look, I felt the, the premise... Uh, was interesting and I was ready to fully com commit to having twists and turns but there were twists and turns but it wasn't <sighs> I don't know um the ending as well I wasn't sure about that one it just I I'm afraid I was disappointed with that one which is such a shame and it doesn't stop me from supporting uh, the author and we'll look out for his next book um, I think I just well as I say when you choose it for a book club and then yeah it turns out to be get the response that it is that's just a shame but anyway there we go can't win everything um, but as I say that's just my opinion it was just the opinion of the book club uh, though this book has incredible reviews online I mean that's one of the reasons why I chose it got really high reviews so people are loving this book so don't hear what I've said and assume that 
is that would be your interpretation. Have a read. Let me know what you think. So there we go. We've covered five very different books today, I feel. And uh, being able to speak to the wonderful Craig Robertson, C.S. Robertson, author of The Undiscovered Death of Grace McGill. Um, I also reviewed Tall Bones by Anna Bailey, Mothers and Daughters by Erica James, After the Rain by Lucy Dillon and Good Cop, Bad Cop by Simon Koenig. Well, that's your lot. I'm off to go and make an incredible TikTok video that gets even less than three views. I, you know, I think I'm just going to delete my account there because I just, <laughs> it's not for me. I don't have the time to do it either. But uh, yeah, anyway, there we go. Can't win them all. Look after yourselves. Uh, take care. I've got some great books to talk to you about next week. Oh, yes, I can't wait. I've got some great books. Yes, keep keep waiting. I can't wait. Anyway, yes, I've got some great books to talk to you about. A great author interview. And um, yeah, we'll be we'll be back together again in a week's time. So just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one ever. See you again soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 